Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. I don't know how, but I've completely missed the fact that this is episode 100. I've just messaged a few people and organized quite a big surprise for you guys and some interesting content for next week, which we weren't planning to do. But again, when I saw the number and realized that today is episode 100, since Caroline started these about two or three years ago, I just thought we've got to do something. We can't just let the occasion go by and not market. So next week, we're going to celebrate hitting a century on the podcast. If you've been listening to us all the way through, thank you so much. You are very, very welcome. If it's your first episode, you have roughly about sort of probably about 100 hours worth of content to now go back and listen to. If you listen to it straight, it's just under five days solid without sleep. So your, uh, your challenge is set there. But again, we're going to do something next week quite special to celebrate that. And thank you to all of our listeners. You make this podcast worthwhile. Today, however, we're going to finish off our series on SEO. So if you haven't already, check out episode one on keywords, episode two on technical optimization of Shopify, episode three and 3B on content. Again, episode three was so popular and we had so many questions about checklists. We recorded an episode 3B specifically talking about the actual checklist of the things you should be updating on certain pages. And then today we're going to be talking about offsite SEO. And I have a very, very special guest with me today. His name's Simon. He's jumped in at the last minute. He's an absolute guru of SEO and he's based really close to where I am here in the UK. And it's a pleasure to have you. So Simon, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nick. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for that uh, very warm welcome. Uh, it's very good to be here. And thanks thanks for having me. Absolutely my pleasure. And I think I'm, I'm very, very excited about today because offsite SEO tends to be the sort of dark art <laughs> of the SEO world. It's all a bit unknown and it's very much changed over the years as well. But just before we dive in, I've mentioned you're an SEO guru. I've always been a you know big fan of your work and passed many projects to you over the years and that sort of thing and a big endorser of, of, of what you do. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and the consultancy that you run? Sure, absolutely. I founded my business, which is called Staffton Consulting, about nine years ago now, having previously worked in the corporate sector and then in that sort of position, developing websites and later SEOing those websites. So this is going back to around about sort of 2004. So been around in the game for, for a fair little while now. And Stafton Consulting, we're a, a very small digital agency based, as you mentioned, on the south coast of England. So not too far at all away from, from yourself. And we specialize in SEO, along with some analytics and conversion rate optimization, doing a mix of the technical and content on page, as well as offsite SEO. 
we currently work with with a range of clients from small small businesses up to sort of large multinationals uh, so uk based and and overseas we right now we have just one shopify client but we've worked with a number of shopify sites in the past and as well as running the business and managing the team i'm very very much hands on with seo it's it's one of those things that I'm a bit of an SEO nerd. It just fascinates me. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Just always changing. Yeah. So I kind of live and breathe it. So yeah, that's me. Just just before we dive in, you've just mentioned SEO is always changing. And it's a phrase that, of course, I hear a lot. I know you probably hear a lot. Yeah. What Do you want to just expand on that slightly? Because I don't think we've ever actually spoken about that on any of these SEO episodes. Uh, but okay. Okay. of course, everybody talks about SEO being a dark art. It's always changing. <laughs> they can't keep up with it. Yeah. What, what exactly is changing? Like, Do you want to just expand on that? Just I think it'd be quite useful for some of the some of the listeners. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. It, it's, it's both changing and not changing. So I don't want to contradict myself, but I think there's, there's a lot of fundamental aspects that have always been the same. You know, if I look back at some of my early stuff I did, working out things to do, you know, 15, 16 years ago, very good content, easy to use websites, all that sort of stuff. You know, some fundamental aspects that are always going to be the same. But the, the ever-changing side of it is a number of different factors at play. I mean, the, the web, you know, when Google started back in... 2000 or something, it was around that time, wasn't it? Like... Yeah, around about 20 years ago. You know, the size and scale of the web and the way people use the web is vastly different to the way it is today. You know, today, you know, what is that, 60 70% mobile usage, lots and lots of smart devices and this sort of stuff. And more and more people creating websites, bringing their companies online, building websites for various different reasons. And Google have had to adapt over the years to to ensure that their core products, their search engines and search results, is always as best as it can be. And to, to do that, all the algorithms, which are the essentially all the, the, the kind of the clever maths equations that are behind the scenes that work out which sites to show when you do a search, all of those are, well, they're actually changing essentially daily, but they, they roll out big changes that are intended to remove very low quality sites from the search results. They're intended to ensure that the sites that they show you on the first page are as, as relevant as they can be, as useful as they can be, and the sort of sites that you know people are, are gonna be very satisfied with. So whilst they're changing all those algorithms, us guys on the other side that are doing SEO need to be aware as much as we can of what those changes actually involve and understand how those changes actually impact what we do, be that the technical on-page and on-site SEO, be that related to content, be that related to off-site, which obviously we're going to dig in a lot more to uh, very soon. Um, so all the different aspects to it because of those algorithm changes. Yeah, it's, it's a moving target. It's a moving target, basically. Sure. I think the, the main thing I've seen over the years that's caused a change in the way we do SEO has been technology. So I've, I often get a lot of people saying like, oh, we don't do SEO. We can't keep up. It's too complicated. And what I say to them is that it is changing, but it's not changing because Google's changing its mind or Google just wakes up one day. Oh, we're going to change the rules. It's normally because, you know, things like mobile suddenly come out. So Google then says, well, if you've got a mobile website, we'll rank you higher because that's a good user experience and people are starting to browse the web on their phones. And then when we had responsive web designs, you didn't have a mobile site and a desktop site. You had one site that would basically scale itself, which is how almost every website works now. You can go on your computer and drag the left or right-hand side and make the browser thinner and thinner and thinner. 
down to the size of a mobile phone and everything should move and adapt to work at any screen size. And Google then said, well, if you've got a mobile site and a desktop site, we'll mark you down because that's the old way of doing it. And it's not just because it's old and we want the new, it's because it's actually much better for the user. And so I think, again, really interesting point, but let's dive into the offsite stuff. That's the main reason we're here today, but thank you so much for that. Because I think just useful when you mentioned it, I thought, actually, we've not really covered that kind of thing before. Offsite SEO then, like a lot of people are going to be looking at this title and going, yeah, the first three, well, three and a, and a bit episodes of this series on SEO have been great. Offsite, what on earth are you talking about? Simon, do you want to shed some light on what Offsite actually is? Like <laughs> why Google cares about it, how it works? Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, in essence, there's the two core elements to SEO. And as you've touched on, you know, there's the on-page, on-site SEO, which is very much within your control. It's within the control of the website owners, admins, you know, you creating the content on your site. Offsite SEO is is the kind of the flip side to it. So it's the part of SEO that involves other people and other websites outside of your business, outside of your own site. So things that in theory you've got a lot less control over. And essentially what it boils down to, traditionally it's boiled down to one thing, which is links. Um, so other people, other sites, be that you know industry sites, directories, blogs, any other website linking over to yours, that link provides some signs and signals of trust and so on that help your site be seen as more of an authority and more trusted. There's a little bit more to it th- these days um, than just links, but links have always been a core part of it. And that that's still to this day is a core part of it. The other side of offsite SEO comes down to what we call brand mentions. But I think that's one to... See how we're doing for time. Potentially come back to it in a, in a little bit. So, so basically, yeah, the offsite SEO is how other sites and other people view your own site. You know, so a brand new site starts from nowhere, and if it's got no links at all from any other site on the internet pointing to it, Google will scan the site and immediately think, well, okay, we're not going to show this to anyone in search results just yet because no one's vouched for it. No one's uh, given any signals to us that, you know, this is a trusted uh, site that, you know, people are going to be interested in. There are slight exceptions to that. You can get sites ranking without links. But again, that might be a conversation for another day. Yeah, much more complicated that. Traditionally, though, it's, yeah, it's going to be Google wants a bit of trust, don't uh, they? Absolutely, kind of... absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, so so basically, under that whole umbrella of links um, and, and offsite, oh, there's, Offsite SEO, sorry, there's all manner of different sort of aspects that are involved in kind of, you know, how it works and how Google will see it in terms of um, the results you get from it, because that's, at the end of the day, what it, what it's all about. And in fact, referencing the conversation we just had about changing over time, the way Offsite SEO works and in terms of links in particular um, has changed massively, you know. Many years ago, people call it the glory days of SEO. You could actually just create <laughs> huge volumes of links, all talking about one particular keyword phrase that's the one you want to rank for. And if you've got the capability to create a huge volume of links, you'll rank. Simple as that. Um, whereas these days, there are a lot more, got a lot wiser to people basically trying to game the system too much in terms of you know volumes of links all on the same topic. So it's... Yeah, it's one of those things that it's very much about quality uh, rather than quantity when we're talking links. Sure. And I think, I mean, I use the word trust. I think that that's often the way we describe it to clients, which is kind of what you were saying is like, 
Google's not going to rank a site with no links. And it's not because of the, it's not specifically because it has no links. It's actually Google saying, well, if you've got links coming into the site, then we trust it. And obviously the main reason of that is, is to say, well, you know, if these particular websites are linking to you, it's because they are endorsing you. And so I think, do you want to just tell us a little bit on that, Simon? Like, what, what, what is the difference between a good link and a bad link? And I appreciate we might get a bit technical here. <laughs> so if, you were, if we're getting too technical for some of you, stay tuned. We're going to give you some top tips towards the end sort of thing. But yeah, Simon, you, what's a good link and what's a bad link and why? Like, why does Google, if you want to give us some examples, sure, why would Google yeah. see one as good and see one as bad? Absolutely. I think there's lots of different ways to categorize it. One way to look at it is a link that is easy for somebody to get and it's a link, a link that doesn't really take much effort at all, tends to be not the kind of link that Google are going to pay attention to in terms of making a difference, you know, to, to where a site ranks. So, you know, one example used a lot in the past and still used uh, to a reasonable extent these days is blog comments. So, you know, if someone actually leaves a comment on another blog uh, and in their sort of bio with the name, they include a website link. Anyone can do it. Very, very easy to do. And... So therefore, it's not really seen necessarily as going to be a link that will, what's the words I'm looking for? It's not really an endorsement, is it? It's not, no one's really endorsing your site. It's just a kind of, there is a link, but so what? It's kind of what Google's looking at, isn't it? Move the dial was a phrase that was escaping me for some reason. It's, It's not going to move the dial in terms of what it's going to do. And there are huge amounts of different links like that. Not not to say that all those links are completely uh, without value, because the the one other link, one other uh, factor to do with all these links is, you know, forget SEO for a minute, but think about traffic. You know, if if that blog comment was on a hugely popular blog and you had something interesting to say in the comment, then you know people might be clicking your bio name on that comment that is a link to your site. And then you've, you know, you've gained a referral user arriving on your site. So there's the traffic side of it as well. But yeah, any kind of link that, that doesn't take any effort at all, like say, sort of, you can create various different profiles on, on forums. You can create sort of free uh, websites on platforms such as sort of Tumblr. I'm not sure if listeners have heard of sites like, well, Tumblr is pretty big actually. <laughs> really <laughs> old school Tumblr, isn't it? It's like the kind of is old school, blogging yeah. platform. Yeah. It's still around, I think, yeah. But there's all these different sort of free blogging platforms that you can knock up a, uh, a real quick and easy site in next to no time and create have a link on that that's pointing to your site. Sort of thing that people used to do at volume to try and make a difference. What you're saying is, and I'll endorse this as well, is we don't want those kind of links, do we? That's not that's not really what we want. You know, if Google, in fact, what what happens if Google sees too many of them? Well, that's so yeah. if Google suddenly <laughs> sees ten thousand appear overnight because you've paid a company, you know, a slightly slightly dodgy company and you've paid a hundred dollars. Yeah. And you've got a hundred thousand links or something pointing at a site suddenly overnight. How's Google going to react to that? Well, not favorably at all. I mean, basically it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. we've, we've seen it happen time and again, not so much recently, but yeah, that sort of thing can result in a penalty. So, you know, worst case scenario, Google sees that what they essentially classify as spam and they'll classify it as spam links and bad luck your site or, particularly the page that those links are pointing to these days, they, they kind of penalise on a page level. But uh, it's not good. It's not going to do you any help whatsoever. It's going to do the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. So, so what does a good link look like then? So, so that's a bad link. What are we aiming for here? Yeah, what are we aiming for? The, the, the best links are naturally created ones, so not the sort that you actually have to go out and try to influence or, or require. And they meet two specific criteria. 
they're highly relevant. So, you know, if you're if you're running a Shopify site selling camping gear and you're getting a link um, from a big, you know, uh, camping holiday operator, for example, that's going to be uh, very, very good in terms of how effective it is. So the relevance is crucial. And secondly, what we tend to call authority, which kind of relates to perceived trust and authority of, of a site. One classic example is Wikipedia, you know, the authority for everything. <laughs> Been around since the year dot. So Google sees them as one of the most trusted sites on the internet. So that's going one end of the scale. Or Wiki, as they're called now. And I noticed actually when they changed the URL, they did lose a whole lot of rankings for a few Of course, months. yeah. But yeah, w- <laughs> Wiki is they're now known. But uh, yeah, Wikipedia to the rest of us. Yeah. They're not, uh, not, not under the age of 20. <laughs> Stuck in my ways, absolutely. But yeah, so I think it's from a very relevant site and an authority. So, you know, a site that's been established ideally for, you know, uh, a year or two or, you know, considerably more, a site that has a good amount of its own traffic, so a site that is is trusted in the eyes of Google, getting a link from a site like that, add into the fact if it's a site that's also very relevant, then that you're starting to get to the sort of you know ideal kind of link that you you, you should be uh, aiming to try to get, and it is it is a fine balance because they aim to try to get, and I mentioned about natural, you know, ideal world you wouldn't do anything to do with offsite SEO, it all happen. It would just, you know, you create a brilliant site with great content. Everybody shares it. Everybody yeah, loves everyone it. hears yeah. about it, links to it, and hey ho, all happening. You know, back in the real world, if if you got a content that is an e-commerce store, um, you might have some blog posts on there. You may not, but you know, t- to have a lot of links naturally get built by you know all sorts of people in the right industry around the world, it's not always going to happen. Which is why you know you can do a number of things to try and help influence that which boils down to relationships basically you know so and this is one of the things always you know at the very beginning of a a website venture one thing you can do is speak to other people that you know either partners or suppliers or associates that are in the same sort of sector the same industry same you know area that you know and you know just see if they they're happy to give you a sort of give your site a bit of a boost give it a mention yeah those kind of things are sort of quite easy to do and you know natural in the in the eyes of google again because that's that's one of those key things that the thousands and thousands of links that you pay someone a hundred dollars to for some questionable company and they create them all in the space of two days you know that's very much unnatural and that's where it won't end well yes (laughs) whereas you know gradually starting to acquire a number of links from other sites in your industry over time is is very much natural you know that's what good sites, good companies. Sure. I read a really good quote recently, actually, in, a, in an SEO article I was reading, which uh, talked about offsite SEO and basically said, you want to build the brand awareness. And as you said, if you can build brand awareness organically, th- then that is going to be the way to win this. You know, so what, what I think might be really useful, actually, Simon, and we didn't, we didn't prepare this, so you can say no if you want, but um, it'd be good if I list out a few different places that I think people can get links from, and then we can both discuss each place because i think in terms of giving people a kind of to-do list something they can take away from this episode should we let, let's let's go through those i think that'd be quite useful the first one i'm going to throw at you is google maps so how can you build some links or well, let's not call them links because there's more to it than that as we said how do you build some off-site awareness from google maps google maps okay that's, that's a good one i mean i think firstly having a, a google my business listing is is one key way to be honest these days all 
pretty much any business uh, I don't think should have one. So this is the you know the listing on maps that will come up if you do a map search, but also if you just do a standard Google search. Not all searches trigger them, but a lot of searches will trigger. You know, if you're looking for, especially on mobile, absolutely. which is like growing in the e-commerce world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. So, so getting a listing. So basically, Google go around and typically maps listings are based around where you have a physical address. So, you know, old school bricks and mortar stores that are on the high street and so on will have a physical address, and that's where you build your maps listing. However, it's not essential. You can create a listing and just essentially don't have an address showing for that for that map listing, but you still get the listing on there. And then that by default, you get to include all the information about your business, so the website, and I think there's two sort of different links. And then on that map listing, you can add what they call posts, so a little bit like you uh, post to a Facebook page and so on. So that that's the kind of simple um, way to, to do it. I don't know if you wanted to go into sort of other slightly more advanced ways in, in creating custom maps. Yeah, I, I think I think that's more than enough, certainly for these guys. I think the only other question I've really got on Google Maps is how much does it cost? Indeed, <laughs> it's free. Excellent, <laughs> always, even better. Always a bonus. Yeah, yeah, always a bonus. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, you can set one up today. You know, um, if you sometimes find your listing is, you know, if you've got a physical address, you'll always already have a listing, and you can go along and claim it, which is very easy few-step process sometimes involves sending a postcard to an address that's registered if it's not there and for you know e-commerce stores that don't have a physical address probably won't be there already so you go to business.google.com and add your add your business add the listing and then off you go yeah highly recommended even if you've only got one it also as you know simon says if you name it something to do with your products all the more opportunity for actually to come up on the seo listings but within the maps area as well as trying to optimize your website, as we say. So the second one, Simon, social media. How can you use social media and use it properly, which I'm sure we're going to underline and bold to the word properly. For anybody listening and taking notes, make that bold, underline it, exclamation mark, add a star above it. How, how, can, how can an e-commerce business use social media to drive off-site SEO and therefore the overall SEO uh, kind of picture? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think the first first key thing is, uh, kind of goes without saying almost, but have, make sure you have a presence. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, we already talked about Google Maps and, and so on. Those, those are the sort of core ones. There's a few slightly more modern aimed at people a bit younger than me, like Snapchat and TikTok. I'm not as au okay with those ones, but certainly... Um, <laughs> Snapchat's dead, Simon. Like, nobody uses Snapchat. Apart anymore. from the filters. It's just fun doing <laughs> filters, isn't it, with the kids? But anyway, that's it. It is. It is, actually. I'll give you that. I'll give you but that. Yeah, absolutely. It's all, it's all TikTok. But anyway, yeah, so making sure you've got uh, a decently sort of filled out profile on Twitter and Instagram and also well sort of populated page on Facebook and also a, a company profile on LinkedIn. And then beyond that, not just leaving them you know because there's a little bit of value in having a presence there but then if that presence and you see this with businesses left right and center sometimes there's just nothing going on at all and that actually sends the wrong signal it's the same with blogs isn't it when you go on somebody's blog or news on their own website and you go on there and it's like last updated 2017 you're like well exactly. are you still running like you, it's basically yeah <laughs> i was going to inquire but now i'm thinking i'd rather go somewhere where yeah, they actually keep their digital presence updated. That's, that's the thing. You know, that's, I think it's yeah. really key. And it, and it can be a bit of an overhead for people and for business, but you don't need to go, you know, go 
crazy with it but basically just making sure you know on a, on a weekly basis or a little bit more than that if, if you you know got the time and inclination actually sharing useful content posting interesting things that relate to you your business your website and what you do but also joining the conversation so where the you know other relevance let's talk about facebook for example other relevant facebook pages groups to a lesser degree because a lot of groups don't tend to be open and public so you know the ability for google to kind of crawl and see what's going on inside them is less but certainly for pages you know joining in the conversation answering questions commenting liking all that sort of stuff as your business starts to add to their overall you know levels of activity basically and, and engagement so then you can start to build a bit more of a following you know followers to the page of facebook followers on twitter etc and an active you know account that's got over time thousands of followers lots of tweets talking about twitter then you know when you send out a tweet that's an offer that you've got you know 20 percent off all xyz products on your site that tweet is going to have um, that little bit extra more uh, oomph and, and value than, you know, a, an empty Twitter account with three followers and, you know, one tweet, for example. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an absolutely key point that I, I guess I guess the point really that I was going to make is to be selective over which channels as well. I think there's there's always been, you know, there's always been this thing in the in the kind of digital SEO kind of world where we've had it a lot with B2B companies where somebody calls us up and says, oh, my mate from the pub or in the US, the bar, um, my mate said, you know, he's set up a Facebook page and it's transformed his business. He's got number one on SEO. So we've set one up as well. and We've not seen the impact. And it's like, well, you know, it's, it's all very well if you've bought a big truck, you now need to find a use for that truck and, you know, put stock in it and drive it around and, and have a purpose. Otherwise, it has no purpose. And social media, I think, is, is exactly like that. Yeah. So I think going back to what we talk about a lot in almost every episode is customers. That know where your customers want to engage with you. I think too many businesses, certainly on, on Shopify, in my experience, they turn to Instagram and Instagram just doesn't deliver for them. And the reason is that you've got to understand that Instagram is very close to people's hearts in the sense that the people they follow and talk to and like are people they aspire to be like or people that they know. So actually, if you then start sharing some sort of medical device or, you know, or some, there's been one recently that's like a, a B2B, I think it's a piece of software for like truck depots. Okay, right. It's a piece of software that organizes trucks coming in and out of a depot. Yeah. And it keeps popping up on my Instagram feed. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. How random. You know, and there's a sponsored post. Well, exactly. There's a sponsored post. And then they tried to follow me the other day. And I was just like, Instagram is not the channel for yeah, you. Yeah. I've got a meeting with their marketing director in a couple of weeks because I reached out on LinkedIn and went, that, I can tell you 50 things that are wrong with your marketing strategy simply by seeing that yeah so i think you know instagram can be great if it's more of a beauty lifestyle but you've got to ask yourself the question at all times like would you follow your own business page is there a reason to follow it and i think you know t twitter is very big in the kind of political and live element of things but again if you're selling quite dry bland products that have a good use and customers like them actually in terms of offsite you probably want to sort of skip the social media section if you know if actually you don't think it's going to deliver because i think as simon you know as you said i was gonna say simon says which i'm sure you've heard that before <laughs> um but as simon says you know it's all about engagement on social media if you don't get the engagement you know that just tur actually turn it off and delete the page because it's better to have no page than one that's dormant 
but then don't reduce the effort, move the effort elsewhere, which we'll come on to in a second. But uh, would you agree with that, Simon? Do you think that's a... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, very, very good point. It varies massively which which the, the kind of dominant platform for a particular net sector or niche. Yeah, difference between B2B, B2C, and then within B2C, yeah, I completely agree. And then you can focus all, you know, time and effort on on the the most relevant platform as opposed to, yeah, spreading a bit too thin. Yeah. And that's the one where people talk to you, isn't it? I mean, I'll give you an example for everybody at home with the podcast. We get, I think, 60 or 70% of our listeners on Apple iTunes. So Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called. The Apple platform that you have on your iPhone and, and on your, your MacBooks. That's where most of our audience are. So actually when we edit and when we produce the actual MP3 that gets uploaded, we focus it on those platforms. And then we also focus the way that the imagery works. It's a, I mean, it's not perfect. And we are looking at logos at the moment, actually, for the podcast. Again, we're hitting 100 today. So it's a bit of a reflection time for us. But certainly to make the point that if that's where our audience are, that is where we're going to spend a bit more time. And what we have actually stopped doing a few weeks ago is we've stopped uploading the podcast to our website because we realized nobody really goes to the site to find them. So why waste all of that effort and energy? And actually, we're now going to focus that effort and energy on things like YouTube, which we're investigating at the moment as a new platform to share them on. And so again, I think SEO works in the same way, certainly with the social media side. But, but moving on then, Simon, probably, you know, we're going to hit the diamonds now, I think. Customer reviews. Talk to us about customer reviews and what that means to offsite SEO and therefore overall SEO. Oof, yeah, no, indeed. Hit the diamonds, as you say. Absolutely crucial. I mean, I guess you just need to think of any any particular product that you're thinking about buying yourself. What's the one of the first things you do, you know, other than actually finding the products and who sells them? It's, it's about where you're buying it from. Can you trust these people? You know, what are their reviews like? You know, I've been doing it a lot of it myself recently with sort of house-based things. And it's, it's just one of those things you, you don't want to go spending your money on a, a website that a you just can't find any information about at all to do with reviews or b you look for the reviews and then you see you know the, the average sort of a response and rating is you know something like two or three out of, out of five stars so that content where you get genuine customers to leave your reviews and they could be across a number of different platforms i mean i'm very very big fan of google reviews so Obviously, that you can have reviews on your own site, but you know, having that sort of third-party hosting of reviews, obviously, get them on Facebook pages. You get them on your big sites like FIFO and Trustpilot and all those sort of things. They are hugely valuable traffic and links, but also sort of wrapped into that that whole trust factor. These days, I think it's one of those things that really allows people with the best service to to kind of rise to the top. And people that in the past would have, you know, managed to run fairly successful business despite having poor service, they just don't get don't get away with it these days because everything is transparent. You know, you get some pretty poor service, and people are inclined. I think there's some stats about you know how inclined people are to leave a review when they've had a good experience versus a bad experience. And you know, a lot of the time you get good experience. You're like, oh, that, was, that was nice. I'm happy with that. But then something happens and you forget about it, you get distracted, you don't leave a review. Whereas if something really has disgruntled you, you know, you've got particularly poor service, people are going to make more effort to go online, you know, give a give a sort of poor review. And do you recommend paying for a review platform? Because that's a common question we do get asked. I think it's, to hate to coin the phrase, it's used in SEO terms a lot, it depends. <laughs> I think, you know, for, for established businesses, you know, that have a bit of a marketing budget, you know, they're making fairly decent sales and so on. 
absolutely i would say yes you know they're, they're not ridiculously expensive for someone just starting out someone that's you know on a little bit of a, a low budget and you know only just starting to make a very very low volume of sales then then it doesn't really i wouldn't say it doesn't make a lot of sense there's other areas that you can focus on that are free such as you know the google platform for your maps listing for reviews facebook reviews in different industries and sectors as other review sites I doubt the listeners are in the, the area of sort of like trades, but, you know, in, in the UK, we've got people like Checker Trade and, and so on. Like specific review bodies for certain industries. I guess some people might be in that for like a, a medical product or, or actually say a trade product, you know, it might be something you could say we're one of the US's 150 certified companies to sell this product. Yeah, yeah. That, it's not quite review platform, but you know what I mean? It's a good accreditation from... You know, it might be a specific brand. We're one of the official distributors of that brand in the US. Absolutely, well, that's, yeah. Absolutely. Having a link from that is really, really powerful. And actually, that is one of those links. I know we're on a slight tangent from review platforms here, but just, just, to, just to add, that those kind of links are actually the ones that will literally, if you are one of five, that then puts the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of Google will look at that link and go, you are actually just one of five. So regardless of how bad the site is, you now have almost all authority from the brand themselves as one of their five official distributors in your region to distribute this product. So anyone searching for that product in that region, it's, it's on you now to mess it up <laughs> with a bad website or something. You know, some links like that can be that powerful, but appreciate to most retailers, that sort of thing's not available, or even if it is, it's too hard to achieve. But that's where you've got to be, you know, you've got, you've got to be kind of ambitious with what you're trying to achieve here, I think. Definitely, definitely. And it's worth actually just, I know it's on that tangent from reviews, but the, uh, the, the point about standing out and, you know, being one of five, actually getting a link that your competitors can't get is massively valuable. So that's what earlier on when we talked about, you know, links that are easy to get, that anyone can get, you know, setting up, adding up, setting up a, a Tumblr uh, page or whatever it might be, very, very easy to do. A lot of times, a lot of competition will have very, very similar sort of core foundational links that, that everyone can get. And that's why they don't make a lot of difference. So it's, it's trying to get those links that no one else has. And as you say, that, that example, you know, being one of the five suppliers of a particular product from a manufacturer, that really gives you that, that extra edge, essentially. And again, just to repeat, you know, bang a drum again that's probably running, running very low on, uh, on, on actual drum skin because I hit it so often, is <laughs> the one about having a USP. You know, when I, I've run a few retail businesses over the years, not big ones, mostly just kind of playing about, but the, the repeating thing that is either the reason I stopped running it or actually the reason I started running it is all around USPs. Stopped running it because we didn't have a unique selling proposition. Um, started running something because we thought we did in the day. And I think that is that is absolutely key. You know, if you if you're the only, you know, one of five companies that sell the product and there's a big demand for it, that's the kind of thing that big enterprise level businesses are trying to achieve is to get things like that because they know how powerful they are. And it's the same with the link building stuff is then to say, you know, if you if you are one of only a handful of accredited companies by a certain area, or you're the only one with more than 10,000 reviews on review platforms, then or you've hit 10,000 and the next highest in your space is three or 400. Well, you you are the mammoth. You've clearly got the most customers you've got amazing customer service well provided those reviews are five star and not 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 ten thousand <laughs> yeah. one star reviews yeah yeah um, that's it but um yeah i think it's really really key and the final thing i want to pick your brains on as well simon which i think is gonna be really interesting to 
a lot of our listeners, and I know a lot of our listeners are already working on this, but I think explaining the way it works in SEO would be really, really useful for them. And that is around PR, news, publications. You know, if the New York Times says that, you know, we're endorsing XYZ business or put some good press out, how good is that? And how how much should retail businesses be thriving to get big news outlets to talk about them in a, obviously, as we say already, in a positive light? <laughs> indeed well yeah i mean absolute pr um and and you know getting in the news so to speak for for retailers and e-commerce can be huge can be can be very powerful i mean i think places like the new york times and uh other really major sort of statewide online news sites and that sort of thing huge amount of readership um is one thing and those sites are massive in terms of the way uh, Google sees them, you know, the huge amount of authority and so on. So being able to get mentioned or uh, you know, talked about uh, in a particular article on one of those sort of sites is is going to is going to definitely uh, make a huge difference. And one of the things, sort of traditional uh, offsite SEO approach that um, has its pros and cons. But one thing you can actually buy press releases, you know, pay one of the big newswire services to actually. Um, you create a press release, pay a fixed fee and submit it to that sort of press release service. There's definitely no guarantees with that sort of approach that you're going to get um, listed on a, the bigger news sites. Yeah. You'll get some visibility. You need to have a good, you need to have a good message first. Yeah. Don't you? It's kind of do the, but you have to do the basic marketing to get the really good advanced marketing. And Absolutely. That's it. And th- but that's where, you know, if you do have a really good USP, you know, if you've got a new product potentially that you're, you know, selling on your Shopify store, Something that is going to just, you know, because journalists get a ton of things land on their desk or in their inbox every day. And it's been able to sort of stand out um, with something that is a little bit different, is something that's going to come across as interesting to the readership. Uh, that sort of thing is more likely to get picked up and, and get published. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, get, getting links from those sort of sites. I mean, an, another one that is is quite powerful, less powerful so these days because just... The, the amount of people that are doing it, but sites like the Huffington Post, yep, pretty um, good place to get a, a link from, get a you know mention talking about a particular store or you know retailer. Definitely going to add some significant weight um, in terms of that offsite SEO. Yeah, and I think another another thing to add as well, just just to kind of round off the list, um, it'd be good to get again to get your thoughts on this, Simon. But we recently were asked by a client to look at their top five competitors. Right. And we actually wrote a report doing some crawling on Google itself. So we, you know, Google normally does the crawling and we crawled Google, which I thought was quite, uh, you know, quite an entertaining exercise. Right, yeah. But we crawled Google by searching those competitors to see using some exact match search, which is where you put speech marks either side of your keyword that you're putting into Google or your search query. So if I'm going to search for a particular, let's, let's say uh, Gymshark, I would put Gymshark into Google with speech marks either side of it. Google would only return results where Gymshark itself was mentioned. And then the second thing we did in that search box is then to put a minus Gym. It wasn't Gymshark specifically, but again, it's good good Shopify example. We put minus and then the URL to the Gymshark site. So that says to Google that we just want to search for the brand Gymshark and we don't want to see the Gymshark site itself. So then all we got was brand mentions coming up. So anywhere that Gymshark was mentioned or more specifically where the URL to Gymshark was mentioned, but excluding Gymshark itself. We crawled those, put them in some spreadsheets, sat down with it, with our client, went through those spreadsheets and said, 
this is all the places that your biggest five competitors are being mentioned on the internet. And we basically went through and just scored them all one to three and went through them in order. You know, we tried to get links ourselves from all of the ones and the twos. And if we could on each of those sites, getting a better link by, you know, somebody was mentioned an article three years ago, well, let's get mentioned in three or four articles over the next three or four months. And again, you build a bit of a marketing story. And I think the best thing as well about articles and that, particular Google search wasn't just articles, but the best thing about articles I've always found is you get this, you know, you talk about journalists having a lot on their desk, you just get this wave of traffic. It doesn't last very long. It's only a day or two, um, sometimes a week or two, but you just get this massive wave of traffic. And if you've optimized your site and people are buying from it, you can guarantee it's going to be some good sales from them. You sign some new customers, you can send them an email to get some reviews from those guys. PR can really kickstart a business, but I'd recommend doing it when you know you've optimized your site, you already have some customers, that sort of thing, because you're probably going to get a lot more use out of this thing. But, um, but yeah, Simon, competitor link reports. Have you? I don't know if you've, we, I haven't asked you previously, but I don't know if you've played with them much before, but certainly something we saw, saw um, some good fruit in. Definitely. I mean, u- using your, <laughs> using, is that the right word? Using your competitors yeah, to actually build it is the links. right word. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be done. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we, we do this quite a lot. I mean, obviously using Google, search engine itself um there's a number of other third-party services that that give you huge essentially website and link sort of databases that you can trawl through um and you can yeah absolutely see see what your competitors are doing and then you can go a little step further and actually identify sort of commonality between uh, all your different competitors where they're getting links from and then see how you vary from that so you know if you looked at the top 10 competitors or even sort of top five competitors and you could see you know they were all getting links from these particular sites but you weren't that's almost like well you know just to, to kind of bring yourself up to the same level you need to at least make sure you you've got those and then it sort of levels the playing field because that that is what seo is really about isn't it i mean it's, it's, there's a good analogy i heard at, um i don't know if you guys have ever looked at dot digital but yes, i was at a dot digital yeah. conference or breakfast or something and they said um the guy said like you know there's two people walking in the woods and they see a bear and one of them says right stand still don't scare it and the other one starts putting his trainers on and he says what the heck are you doing and the guy goes well i you know i'm going to run away and he's like what do you mean he's like well i only need to outrun you and that's exactly how it works in a lot of industries and google is no different so google is the the fact that you just need to be that much better than your competitors. So if your website is more relevant to the keyword, your brand awareness is much better, your reviews are better, et cetera, the offering you offer is better, then you will, you will be number one on SEO and it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then it's an easier job of staying at number one, which is easier than trying to catch up. So I think competitor reports are, are absolutely key on this sort of thing. Definitely. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. But yeah, what, you know, you don't need to be building up the the most amazing sort of biggest set of links that can absolutely trump anyone on any site. You just need to be that little bit better than the competition and then then you've nailed it. And then I think from there, yeah, like you say, getting to number one, it's easy to stay at number one, but you just need to then keep an eye on it. Well, you still need to do stuff. It's not a, once you're there, you don't stay there oh, in the same way that yeah. whoever was there before you didn't stay there. You you, you overtook them. But, uh, That's it. And, yeah. it. and it varies from industry to industry, you know, how, how much... What, the, what that level of, you know, com- competitive edge is going on, you know, how almost how aggressive you might need to be uh, to f- get there in the first place and then and then stay there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So just to reiterate, just before we close up today, so when it comes to offsite, we're talking about 
getting as much engagement as we can. And I think actually checking the referral traffic source is a really good thing to do in Google Analytics to see how much traffic you're getting from some of the links you generated. Uh, places like Google Maps, social media, focus on engagement with social, try and get your customers talking about you. Um, you can use review platforms to get people to submit reviews that say really nice glowing things about you and it automatically links back. Using things like PR, for example, and then also checking out what your competitors are doing with, with various tools. You can probably find a, you know, it's probably about a thousand different tools on Google if you do a quick Google. But I think, I think there's more than enough there for people to crack on with. And I think, again, given my experience with a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, I think the main focus for a lot of you is going to be on the store itself. And as Simon said straight away, offsite is a good thing to do, but actually you want to try and get your store functioning best first. And then a lot of this will start to happen. Customers will talk about you. They will share stuff. Bloggers will pick up bits and pieces. And, and again, a bit like this podcast, a lot of our guests reach out to us. You know, So we've got a sponsored series coming up in, in a couple of weeks' time, which I'm very excited about. I'm not going to talk about it until it starts, but we've already recorded a lot of the episodes. And they reached out to us and said, can we sponsor it? And so it starts to become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So get your house in order and people will start noticing it, I think. But uh, Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to have you on the show. Been a pleasure. No, thanks very much for having me. Absolutely pleasure from uh, from my side as well. And as I say, hit the subscribe button. Next week we're going to do something completely different and completely special to celebrate hitting a century in the amount of episodes that we have posted. So this is episode one hundred today. Um, that's it from me, and we'll be back again next week um, with a with a surprise as well, which uh, I'm very much looking forward to. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.